0: And again, my name is Michael. If I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And it's always an honor and a privilege when I have the opportunity to share God's word with you. And a couple of weeks ago, we dropped off our oldest daughter uh, to college in the Dallas Fort Worth area. She's going to school down there. And she's actually going to the same school where, um, yeah, we can give a hand to Abby for that. Well done, Abigail, if you're watching. And um, so we went down there, and Lanelle and I actually graduated from that school. And so we were taking her down there, and I got a chance to go into my old dorm. Um, and I was reminiscing about my college days, and a majority of my meals came out of this thing right over here. How many of you can relate? This, this was my cooking appliance of choice, and what I would usually make in here, anyone want to guess? Yeah, exactly. Ramen noodles. This is what I lived on. And, and some people couldn't believe this because I shared this first service. I would go and give plasma every week, me and a couple of friends of mine. We would get $80 every time we gave plasma in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So we had a little uh, ricketeering going on there. Um, we would do a carpool. We'd all fill up a van, and we'd drive to Dallas. So all of you college students who are unemployed, go give plasma. Okay? Okay. <laughs> That's the life lesson for today. But then I would fill up our dorm room with ramen noodles because it's quick, it's easy um, to make. You just pour a little water in here, throw it in the microwave for three to five minutes, and you have a meal already ready for you. And so this is something that I practice. But then as I got older, now I've got to kind of preface this with I am not a grill master, I am not a smoke master, um, but I do like barbecue. I do like eating Um, And as I said before, we just recently moved back here from Texas, and I'm not a hater on Chicago barbecue, but Texas really does have amazing barbecue, okay, if you ever get a chance to go down there. And so I brought some barbecue with me this morning, um, because it's actually very spiritual and biblical. Did you know God said, bring a burnt offering to the Lord? And barbecue, have you ever had burnt ends? Anyone in here ever had burnt ends? Okay. I, I, mm, man, it's good. And and even, do you remember when the Israelites would sacrifice to the Lord while they were in the wilderness and God said, it's a pleasing aroma. It smelled like barbecue. I'm sure it did. Barbecue is going to be in heaven, guys. So all of you vegetarians, I'm sorry. (laughs) But even even today, just for today, vegetarians, can, can you lean in for a second? Just go and get some burnt ends. Just one bite and you'll be hooked. I promise, Okay. But, but this is actually, it's biblical, it's spiritual whenever you eat barbecue because, again, the fat belongs to the Lord. That, that's all part of that. Anyway, so, but here's the cool thing. With the smoker, and this is an electric smoker, um, with the smoker, when you smoke meat, usually it takes anywhere from six to eight hours. But if you're making a brisket and burnt ends and that sort of thing, it can take between 20 to 24 hours for you to smoke that meat in order for you to have it and and so again just a reminder this takes three to five minutes it's quick it's easy and then this takes somewhere between 20 to 24 hours and just think about this for a moment your best meals probably have not come out of a microwave amen I got an amen on that Your best meals, think about the best meal that you ever had. It probably did not come out of a microwave. Now, I'm not talking about Thanksgiving leftovers or leftovers after you go to a restaurant. I know some of you don't like leftovers, but I love leftovers. I'm not talking about that. But the best meals that you've had, it probably took some time. It probably took some preparation. Maybe it didn't take 20 or 24 hours, but there was some preparation. There was some forethought that happened, and you had to wait in order to have a great meal. Now, we've been walking through this series called Honest to God, and for those of you who are new or maybe you've missed for the past several weeks, I would encourage you to go back and listen or watch online. We've heard some incredible messages by our pastors, but we've been talking about this idea about being honest with God, and I think most of us in this room, we would, if I asked you just one-on-one, we would say, we're mostly honest, right? You're you're mostly honest? I mean, you're mostly honest with the IRS, right? Right? Nervous laughter. You're in a dating relationship right now, and you're mostly honest with that person you're dating. Maybe maybe you went to counseling for a little while, and you were mostly honest with your counselor, right? I think a majority of us, we're mostly honest. In fact, statistics tell us that 90% of the time, we're honest. Now, I found that on Wikipedia, to be honest to God, so I don't know how accurate that is, but... But I think we would say we're mostly honest. But I want you to think about it just for one second. Your best relationships, your best friendships, the marriages that you look at and you're like, man, I hope my marriage is like that someday. The best marriages. Isn't it true that those best relationships that you have are the most honest relationships? Where there's no mass, there's no faking, there's no pretending, there's no pretense. You're 100% vulnerable. You're 100% who you are. You're not pretending at all. Our best relationships are our most honest relationships. So when it comes to God and having a relationship with God, maybe you think about having to say a prayer or, or having a conversation with God, and we think that that's really important. Because we want you to have a great relationship with God. If you've been around Calvary Church for a while, you've heard us talk about having a personal relationship with God. We don't want you to just have a religious experience or have some mountaintop experience. No, we want you to have a personal relationship with God. And so if that means having a personal relationship with God, maybe you've, you're, you're a little bit intimidated by having a conversation with God or praying to God because all the prayers maybe you've heard have been read off of a script or, or have been formulaic or, or really written out really well or said really well. And so that's a little bit intimidating. But can I tell you something, church? God doesn't want perfect conversation. He wants honest conversation. You you don't have to have it all together. You don't have to look the part. You don't have to get everything right and all your T's crossed. You you can be completely 100% honest with God because you will never experience God fully until you're fully honest with God. And, And so we think that that's very important. Now, kind of back to the waiting. Because I think we can be honest to God when when we feel like we've been waiting for a long time. And maybe some of you, maybe a lot of you in this room, you love waiting. That's your love language. I mean, when you love sitting in Chicagoland traffic for two hours every day of the week. And the person in front of you has their left blinker on the entire time. You love that. You, you love it. When you go to the grocery store, you don't look for the express line. You look for the longest line because you just, it's life-giving when you're having to wait there and watch them write a check. Do we even take checks anymore? <laughs> right? Maybe you still have dial-up internet because you love the way that your computer screen slowly fills up when you're waiting for, you've got mail, right? Right? Maybe you love waiting. I I don't know, but I think a majority of us, we don't like waiting. We like convenience. We like the microwave. We live in a culture where we want everything right now. That's why we have high-speed internet, and you better have Wi-Fi with no password protection, right? That's why we have Uber Eats, because we don't want to have to go out and get our food. We want it delivered to our doorstep. If Prime, Amazon Prime isn't fast enough for you, two-day delivery, you can have Amazon now where they'll deliver to your home in two hours or less. Why? Because we don't like waiting. Instagram, Facebook Live, we want to know what's happening in people's lives right now. Tell me, I can open my phone and I can watch and see what's happening. Why? Because we don't want to wait. All of you single adults out there, you don't want to have a relationship where there's love and respect and kindness and accountability. You can go on Tinder. You can go on Grindr and swipe right and tap twice. And you can hook up with someone tonight, right? <laughs> Why? Because we live in a culture. We live in a society. We live in a world where we don't want to wait. Pastor Michael, when are you going to be done with this sermon? Soon. I promise. promise. <laughs> And I think if we're not careful that this can start to slip into our our faith, this can start to slip into our Christianity, this can start to slip into our our lives and our relationship with God. We we don't want to wait, right? We'd rather watch church online, and no hate for anyone who's watching online, but we'd rather watch online than to to come in here and and be accountable and, and have to walk through some difficult situations or maybe community together. We'd rather isolate ourselves. Or would we'd rather have likes instead of lessons that God has to walk us through. We'd rather have our deliverance, God deliver me from this addiction or this issue or this problem, rather than having to walk through the process of discipleship. We'd rather have wealth than wisdom. We'd rather have instant wealth and instant overnight success. We'd rather win the lottery and have a whole bunch of money. And did you know the statistics tell us that most people who win the lottery lose it and they're broke in seven years or less? And if you've won the lottery, we'll take another offering after the service. <laughs> but we'd rather have wealth than, than wisdom. Isn't it true? We, we want it right now. We don't want it to have to take a long time. Why, why, do, why would we want to wait? Right? There was a commercial in the 80s that said, good things come to those who wait. That's not in the Bible. That's just a ketchup commercial. But it's true, isn't it? None of us, we we don't want to trust the process of waiting. We'd rather have it right here, right now. And so I think if the bottom line, if you have to leave early, if your internet goes out, if if you get distracted counting the lights in the ceiling, I just want you to know the bottom line of today's message. And and it's just simply this, that God is working in your waiting. That God is actually, he's working in your waiting. And even when it feels like God is distant, even when it feels like God is absent, even when it feels like God is silent, he is actually working and moving on your behalf, even when it You don't feel it even when you can't see it, even when it doesn't make any sense. God is working in our waiting. And if you've ever felt like, God, where are you? Why am I having to wait for so long? You're you're in great company because we're going to talk about David again. We've been walking through the Psalms together. And if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to turn to Psalm chapter 13 and you can go there. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't have the app, it'll be up on the screen. But but David, before he was a king, he was a shepherd boy. Before he was a king, he was a fugitive. Before he was a king, he was a warrior. But God doesn't say or recognize any of those things in, in David's life. Do you know what, da- what God calls David? He says, this is a man after my own heart. And, and David was honest with God. And in Psalm 13, listen to what David says. Verse number one, here's what he says. How long, Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? David's saying this, God, I know there's 7 billion other people on the planet right now. I know there's plagues and famines and disease and political unrest. But God, how long until you remember me? God, how long till you throw me a bone, until you give me something? God, it feels like you've forgotten me. Have you ever felt like God has forgotten you? David did. And he's just honest about it. And maybe we feel a little bit apprehensive because we're like, can we be that honest with God? But David even, he goes on, he says this. He says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? Have you ever wrestled with your thoughts and said, man, where in the world is that thought coming from? I never think that way. I I never would think that. And you're wrestling constantly with your thoughts. Do you know in a room this size, one out of 10 women are dealing with anxiety and depression right now. One out of 10. Men, it's even higher for us. One out of five men are struggling with depression and anxiety. And David says, God, it's, it's like my heart is overwhelmed. I am filled with sadness. I'm depressed. I'm anxious, God. It feels like you have forgotten about me. God, where, where are you? I thought you said that if I did A, B, and C, that you would do D, and God, I've done those things, but it still feels like you're far off from me, and I'm wrestling with these thoughts constantly. Can I trust you or not? And David, he's being honest, and then he goes on. Listen to what he says in these last verses. How, How long will my enemy triumph over me? God, look on me. Look on me, God. Answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I'll sleep in death. My enemy will say, I've overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. David said, I'm on, I'm on the edge of death, God. I'm constantly wondering when my enemy will attack me next. He's overwhelmed. And most of you know David's story. He, his enemy wasn't just the Philistines or the Moabites or Amorites or Amalekites. No, no, David had an enemy that was much closer to him than that. Many of you guys know it was King Saul. And backing, backing up a little bit and, and remembering David's story, David doesn't start in the palace as a king. He wasn't the son of a king and kind of found his way into the palace. No, David actually, he, he was a shepherd boy. Do you guys remember that? He he was watching his father's sheep in this little small town called Bethlehem in the armpit of Israel, so to speak. And he's out there watching sheep. And and one day Samuel the prophet, he he comes because God said, I want you to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the next king of Israel. Now, now Samuel had to go into stealth mode because when there's already a king and God tells you to anoint another king, you don't want that word to get back to Saul. And so... Samuel comes in and he he meets with Jesse and he says, hey, one of your boys is going to be the next king. I need you to line up all your sons so that we can anoint the next king of Israel here. And and so Jesse goes out and gets seven of his sons and they all stand in front of in front of Samuel. And the Bible tells us that the first son, he's tall and dark and handsome like Pastor Jason. So. And Samuel's like, this is the one. This must be the guy, the next king of Israel. And God whispers into Samuel's ear and he says, Samuel, everyone else looks out the outer appearance. Everyone else looks at people and and looks how they look and that's how they make their judgment on them. But, But Samuel, I'm not looking at the outward appearance. We already did that with Saul. He was tall, dark, and handsome. No, I'm looking for someone who is after my own heart. And so, ladies, can I tell you something really quick? If you're a single lady, all the single ladies, okay? All the single ladies. <laughs> don't just look at the outward appearance of a man when you're looking for a man, okay? Because that's not what makes a man. Should you be attracted to a man? Absolutely, you should be attracted to him. But don't just look at the outward appearance because God looks at the heart and you should be looking at his heart Not just at his outward appearance. All the single men, all the single men in the room, don't just look at how a woman looks on the outside. Never mind, men, you're hopeless, but (laughs) it's okay. It's okay. But God doesn't look at the outside. God told Samuel, no, it's what's on the inside That that you need to pay attention to. So Samuel goes through all seven boys and it's a little bit awkward. It's a little bit weird because he says, Jesse, are these all your boys? This is it. And Jesse says, oh, there's one more left out in the field watching the sheep. He doesn't even say David's name. He just says, yeah, the youngest kid is he's out in the sheep. and, And he says, go and get him. We're not sitting down until he comes back. And all the brothers are like, man, we don't get to eat until David gets here. And so David comes in, and he's this young, ruggedy, handsome-looking boy. And God says, Samuel, this is the one. This is him. And David gets down on his knee. And Samuel opens up the horn of oil, and he actually pours it over David's head and anoints him as the next king of Israel. And the Bible says that God's anointing and God's hand was on David from that point forward. And you would think David would... He would pack up his duffel bag and he would head to the palace, right? He's the next king, but he doesn't. He goes back out to the pasture. He goes back out to the field for two years. He's taking care of the sheep. Goliath doesn't come along for two whole years. David's been anointed watching sheep. And and if you missed Pastor Cody's message a few weeks ago on when David faces Goliath and kills the giants and talking about killing the giants in our life and facing the giants, please, 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 it was an awesome sermon. Go back and listen to that. But after David kills Goliath, he becomes a national hero. Overnight success. And all the ladies in Israel and Jerusalem are singing a new song. They're saying, what a man, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. Someone just got touched over there. (laughs) No, they weren't singing that. That was Salt and Pepper that was singing that. No, they, they were singing a different song. They were saying this, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And a seed of jealousy is planted in Saul's heart. Because he's like, what else can David take over except the kingdom? And and so it says that Saul keeps a jealous eye on David from that point forward. And actually, two times David's playing music and singing to King Saul in the palace. And twice Saul tries to throw a spear at him, or he throws a spear at him and tries to kill David while he's playing and God protects David. I mean, you think you have a bad boss, okay? <laughs> he tries to kill David, and, and so he decides that didn't work, so now I'm going to send David on on all of these battles, on all of these conquests, and David has success after success after success. So Saul says, well, maybe I'll, I'll have him marry my daughter. Maybe that'll distract him. I don't know, and so he gives one of his daughters to Saul, and One night, he has a squad of soldiers come into David's bedroom to try to kill him. And David just barely escapes out of the window. And from that point on, David is on the run from Saul. And he's hiding in caves and he's going in other countries and he's going through the forest in Israel. And he's trying to save and spare his life and get out of the way of Saul. All the while, he's anointed as the king of Israel. And he's a fugitive. He's on Israel's most wanted hit list. God, how long? How long, God? How long are you gonna forget about me? God, how long are my enemies gonna pursue me? God, how long do I have to have this distress, this anxiety in my heart? God, you had Samuel come and anoint me. I wasn't looking for Samuel. I wasn't looking to be the next king. I was was minding my own business, paying attention, taking care of the sheep. And God, you did this. So how long are you going to forget me, God? And David and his men are hiding in the back of the cave one day. And Sam, or excuse me, Saul and 3,000, 3,000 soldiers are searching for David. Not 300, 3,000 soldiers are on the search for David, and they stop at the cave. And Saul says, "I've got to go to the bathroom." Church, this is one of the only places in the Bible that talks about someone going to the bathroom. If you have middle schoolers and junior hires, they love this story. But Saul goes in there, and David and his men are in the back of the cave. They're like, yes, David, this is it. This is it. Let's go and shake, 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 shake this fool right now shank shank let's get him David we don't have to run anymore we don't have to hide we've got this David God has delivered Saul right here he's going to the bathroom let's do this no one would blame you David no one would second guess you and guys men you know this Saul is in the most vulnerable position when he's going to the bathroom right I mean, you know this. You go into the bathroom, you got your candle lit, you're sitting there, you've got your phone, you're scrolling through the scores, you're watching videos. I mean, 20 minutes go by and you didn't even know it and you try to stand up and your legs are asleep and you're like, oh God, help me, right? He's in the most vulnerable position possible and his men are like, David, let's kill this fool right now. We've got this. And David sneaks up behind Saul. And we have no idea, like, if Saul took off his robe and laid it on a rock or if he's still wearing it. But the Bible says that David reaches out for the corner of Saul's robe and he cuts off a piece of the, his robe. And in that moment, the Bible tells us that David's conscience is stricken. H- has your conscience ever spoke to you? I don't know if it sounds like your spouse or maybe Pastor Ross or Morgan Freeman. I'm not sure what your conscience sounds like. But all of a sudden, David's conscience is stricken. And I think this is not in the text. I'm just imagining this, that David is starting to remember in that very moment, as he's holding a piece of Saul's robe, how Saul lost favor with God a few years ago. Because if we rewind the tape in 1 Samuel, Samuel, the prophet, had told Saul to go and make a sacrifice. But he said, wait, we're going to offer a sacrifice together. Wait for me for seven days. Four days go by, six days. On the seventh day, no Samuel. And the, Saul's men are starting to scatter. And, and they're starting to leave. And so Saul gets nervous. He gets scared. He gets anxious. And he's like, okay, okay, I'm going to offer the sacrifice. I'm going to offer the burnt ends. Mmm, Hallelujah. And, and I'm going to... I'm going, to do, I'm going to offer the sacrifice. I'm not going to wait for Samuel anymore. I'm going to actually take matters into my own hands. And I'm not going to wait any longer. And he offers the sacrifice. And after he's done offering the sacrifice, no sooner is he finished than Samuel walks in. He's like, Saul, what'd you do? And he tries to explain, well, Samuel, you don't understand. The men were leaving and it was getting crazy. And I didn't know if we were going to have enough soldiers to go and fight. And so I just said, "I'll, I'll get it started. And then I knew you would show up eventually. And Samuel says, God has taken the kingdom away from you, Saul, because you couldn't wait. You wouldn't wait. And Samuel turns to leave. And Saul reaches out and grabs his robe and he rips a piece of Samuel's robe off. And he's holding it in his hand. And Samuel turns around and looks at him and says, Saul, today God has torn the kingdom out of your hands. And he's given it to someone else, a man after his own heart. And church, listen, I think David's in that cave. And he's holding a piece of Saul's robe now. And he has the choice. He has the opportunity. He has the chance to say, okay, I can wait on God Even though it's been almost 20 years since I was anointed, I've been running for my life for almost 10 years, I I could either choose to wait on God and have his timing, or I can take matters into my own hands and I could kill Saul and I could take the crown right now. I could take it. So church, my question to you is, what are you forfeiting? What are you forfeiting because you're not willing to wait on God? I, I see this all the time in people's lives. I, I see this in, in people that come to our church, who attend our church, or, or who used to attend our church. And, and instead of waiting on God, they've decided to take matters into their own hands. And, and they're tempted because maybe they got an email that they weren't supposed to see. And now they could advance in the company because of the information that they found. But, but the question is, am I going to be a person of integrity and character, or am I going to To take advantage of this opportunity for my own own success, for my own promotion. See, David, he's faced with this. You and I, we're faced with this. We're faced every day of the week. Are we going to just control and take control of the situation? Or are we going to actually wait on God? Are we actually going to trust God? Are we actually going to believe that God is who he says he is? and, And that he's trustworthy? I don't know what it is for you, but I think you know. I'm sure you know. Maybe for some of you, you've you've been praying for your child, and they've ran away from God, and you raised them in a Christian home. You you raised them to serve the Lord. You raised them to believe in Jesus. You you tried to do everything right, and you're praying and you're asking God. I, I've been I, I've been waiting. I I did everything I could to raise them in in, in your ways, God, but. But now they're in their 20s, they're in their 30s, and they're not following you, God. How long? How long do I have to wait? There's some of you who, and and it breaks my heart, you're facing chronic pain, chronic sickness. You're dealing with anxiety. You're dealing with depression. And every time these altars are open, you're up here. With tears in your eye and you're saying, God, I believe you. I trust you. I want someone to agree with me in prayer. When we have encounter nights, you're coming here. Whenever you have another doctor's report that doesn't come in good, you're calling the pastors, asking us to come and to meet you and to pray with you. And you're wondering in your heart and in your mind, God, how long have you forgotten about me? God, have you forgotten my pain, my suffering that I'm going through? Church, can I tell you something? Right now, as a church, if you're part of Calvary Church... We're in a waiting process. So many times people are asking us, hey, what's going to happen after Pastor Ross retires at the end of the year? What's going to happen? Where are we going to go? What's, what's going to ha- what if we don't have another pastor? Church, can I tell you something? God is working in our waiting. And we could choose to try to control the situation. We could choose to try to manipulate the situation. We could choose to just say, hey, we're just going to find someone. But the leadership and the board and the pastors, and I hope you're doing the same, we're praying and saying, God, we don't want to wait a long time. But our ways are not your ways. Our thoughts are not your thoughts. Your timing is not our timing. So, God, we're choosing to wait on you because we believe you, we trust you that you're working even when we're waiting. And will you trust God even when it doesn't make sense? Even when it seems like you could take matters into your own hands and it could be done, it could be over. But are you willing? Are you willing to wait? Church, do, do, you remember, do you remember Jesus? Twelve years old. Twelve years old. He's in the temple. He's, he's astounding the, the teachers and the, prophet, the prophets and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. He, he's sitting there and every question they're asking him, he's answering. And for three days, Mary and Joseph cannot find him. And on the third day, Mary walks into that temple. And I think she's a little bit cross-eyed, a little. She's like, Jesus, Jehoshaphat, get on that donkey right now. She's not happy. And we don't hear from Jesus for another 18 years. Right? You think you got spanked. (laughs) 18 years. And, And Jesus said, but didn't you know I was in my father's house doing my father's work? And we don't hear from Jesus again until he's in Canaan. And he turns water into wine. And Mary's like, hey, Jesus, take care of this. 18 years. He's 30 years old before he starts his public ministry. For three years, he's healing the sick. He's teaching. He's raising the dead. He's freeing people from demons. And then in three days, his purpose is accomplished. Three days. He waited 33 years. To fulfill his purpose in three days. He died on that cross and he rose again. He said, I've got the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Death does not have the final word. And church. He waited. So if David had to wait, if Jesus had to wait, what about us? What about you? What about me? See, I've told you this before and I want to remind you, your current circumstances and your current situation is not a reflection on how God feels about you. Did you know that? How God feels about you was demonstrated on that cross 2,000 years ago. He loves you. He's not mad at you. He's not upset with you. He's not angry with you. He hasn't forgotten you. He loves you. And listen to what David says at the end of this chapter in these verses. He says this, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing praise. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. But David, you're running for your life. I know, but I trust. David, you don't know if you're going to live past tomorrow. I know. But I know God loves me. I know his love is unfailing, that it it endures forever. And that if God is for me, then who can be against me? Paul says it this way in Romans. "Can, Can death separate us from the love of God? Can trials, can sickness, can tribulations, can angels, can demons? Can this present world or... The future, can that separate us from the love of God? No. We know that we are more than conquerors in this. We know because we have triumphed in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, church, I've asked the worship team to come and to sing this song to us again, this Waymaker song. Because here's the cool thing about this whole story. After David leaves that cave, he shows Saul the end of his robe. He said, I had the chance to kill you, but I spared you. And Saul leaves. And David is getting ready to leave for Gath. But a prophet comes to David from Gad and says, don't go to Gath. That's the enemy's territory. God wants you to go to Judah, which means praise. And church, maybe this morning, your next step in your waiting is to praise God. Your next step in your waiting is to lift up a voice, lift up a song of praise. And in this song, it says this, even when I don't see it, God, I know you're working. Even when I don't feel it, I know you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Why? Because he who's begun a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. And God is not stopping his work, even in your pain, even in your suffering. So, will you stand with me? And we're going to declare this. Maybe you're so overwhelmed this morning, you're like, Pastor Michael, I can't sing. Church, this is the moment where we need to raise the roof for those who are in waiting. And maybe all you can do this morning is just lift your hands and say, OK, God, I don't understand. I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what's going to happen next week. I don't know what's going to happen next month, but I will trust you even though you slay me. Yet will I trust you, God? I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm not going to rush it. I'm not going to push it. I'm not going to work on my own timetable. God, I'm waiting for you. Karina, will you lead us?
1: Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are.
0: this morning and you're waiting on God. There's some situation, there's some circumstance in your life. Will you just lift your hands like this and let me pray her prayer blessing over you this morning. God, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for saving this story for us for thousands and thousands and thousands of years to remind us, God, you're working in our waiting. You're working and there's nothing that we're facing right now. There's nothing that we're walking through that you have forgotten, Lord, that you have have not seen even before it came into our situation. God, I thank you that you love us and that you care for us and that you're watching over us. Now, God, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning, whatever they're walking through. Will you give them the courage to face another day? God, would you give them the courage not to give up, not to take matters into their own hands? God, not to do what's easy or what's convenient, but God, actually to wait on you. And as they wait, Lord, I pray that you would renew their strength. You would renew them, God, in your presence. You would renew their joy. You would renew their fortitude. God, you would renew their faith. You would renew their love for you. And you would lift them up And even when tears are streaming down their face, God, that they would know that you are faithful, you are for them, you're not against them, that you have a purpose and a plan. You will not waste their pain, you will not waste their waiting, but you will use it for your glory and for our blessing. So God, I bless them today, encourage them, be with them, walk with them, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Church, God bless you. Thank you so much for being here today. We love you. We'll see you guys next weekend. Have a great week.